Davis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the system is working, the Jesse verdict, Biden vote remorse, and what if no one works? And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. I am Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. There was a verdict since the last time we've been together talking. There was a verdict in Chicago on the charges against Jesse Smollett. And you will likely recall this is a young actor uh, i believe he's just in his 30s or so early 30s a young actor who was is uh black and is a self-proclaimed gay and told the police in 2019 that in a very late night early morning episode in chicago he was physically accosted and with people who were had maga gear on were yelling maga uh, using racial and um, sexual slurs and, and they beat him up, that they beat him up, that he that physically assaulted, threw bleach on him. And of course the story made the, uh, as you would likely imagine, you know, made the airwaves immediately and around the country, another racist attack. And, and you know, it was, it was in 2019 and so Trump is still president and, and there was very much an effort to t- uh, and many, by many in the media to tie this incident that Jesse Smollett reported uh, to the existence of the Trump administration, that he, Trump, was somehow uh, creating a more racist America. Well, very quickly, the uh, allegations fell apart as the police uh, expended. And I, I used to know the amount of money, and I don't know what it is at this moment, but it was police department, uh, you know, it was investigators, detectives, lawyers. I mean, it was a big investigation effort to figure out what happened, to look into, investigate, try to find these people. And in his initial statements to the uh, police, of course, Jesse Smollett was characterizing his attackers as white and trying to characterize it as an attack based on race and his uh, sexual orientation. Well, charges fell apart. I mean, very quickly, all the evidence that uh, was coming to light actually t- trended toward uh, believing that what Jesse Smollett put out was a hoax, that it wasn't true at all. And so, after some time, the police finally concluded, and, and Jesse Smollett, along with many uh, left-wing leaders in Hollywood and in political world, stood by him, uh, couldn't wait for the opportunity to get in front of the camera and denounce America. Well, then Jesse Smollett uh, was finally accused, formally accused, charged uh, with lying to the police. Uh, and, and specifically, he was charged with telling a police officer he was a hate crime victim, telling an officer he was a battery victim, telling he was a hate, another uh, detective he was a hate crime victim, uh, telling detective, and, and so it's lying to the police over and over and over. And so the jury came back and convicted him of five of the six charges. This was in Chicago. The reason I want to hit on today in first five, in today's first five, is just to say this. Jesse Smollett, every step along the way, and, and to be very clear, the evidence is overwhelming that the incident, as he reported, did not occur. That, in fact, not only that did not occur, but that he actually set it up. He paid two other actors who happened also to be brothers, um, 
And these two other actors were from Africa, but they were here in, from Nigeria, here in America, uh, working with him um, in his, uh, on this Empire show that he was on. And those two brothers finally came forward and said, yeah, actually, you know, Jesse Smollett paid us to set up the whole thing. We had a dress rehearsal, um, had the check that Jesse Smollett had paid them to do this, to put on this hoax. So the evidence is pretty overwhelming. And I wanted to say a couple of things about my points on this and uh, why I raised this first five today. And it'll tie into some things we're going to talk about later in the show. Number one, it's one thing to be, and he may have the sense, he, Jesse Smollett, may truly believe in his life that he has been a victim of racial discrimination because he's black or discrimination based on his sexual orientation. He may really believe that is true. And, and wanted somehow to draw attention to what he per perceived perhaps was widespread discrimination or at least to have a vehicle to air his grievance by his life. But what he set up cost our society and our justice system a lot of money. I and mean, that's the first part. When you make up a hoax like this and you don't immediately retract it, you know, he could have retracted two days later and said, look, you know, very sorry, I got carried away. I was very upset about a variety of things that did happen and I, I concocted this story I back off never could do that could not bring himself to do that and moving forward to here this was in 2019 when he claimed the incident occurred and here we are nearly at the end of 2021 when the trial finally finishes and trials cost money you have to have a prosecutor a judge and jurors and a court system everything he did and perpetuating this hoax was actually cost society money so the money thing is one thing but even worse than it costing our society money, what Jesse Smollett managed to do was to dig in to try to advance the uh, anti-American left's argument that America is a deeply racist country, that America is systemically racist, and it is just incurably racist, and there are all these white people out there who just can't wait to attack a, a perfectly innocent black man who happened to be walking down the street. It was also an attempt by Jesse Smollett to attack President Trump and his supporters because he said specifically about this attack that they were Trump people, one of them had a MAGA hat on. My point in saying all this is it cost America more than just the money that we had to, that we, the country, paid to have the police officers spend time, which they could have actually spent uh, investigating real crimes and real victims and real harm, uh, and it cost the justice system money. And all that way along, Jesse Smollett never could get to the conclusion in his head, in his heart, apparently, that he should come clean. Couldn't get there. Could not do it. Couldn't talk himself into it. And even in the course of the trial, he attempted to present a preposterous defense that the entire thing was cooked up by these two brothers uh, who themselves were paid by Jesse Smollett, but somehow they cooked the whole thing up. I mean, it was preposterous, illogical. The jury did not fall for it. I want to say one other thing about this whole and wrapping up this first five today. In our country, we do have some discrimination. It is far less than the anti-American left tries to portray. The, the leftists in this country live and move and breathe to have their, to find a way to convince more Americans that this country is systemically racist. You have those same people who just jumped on the case uh, when it first came out, backing Jesse Smollett, you know, saying this is terrible, it's an outrage, and CCC, what we mean, America is a terrible place. I'm not hearing those folks who backed him up coming forward and saying, actually, this is really disgraceful. This is very disappointing. 
we're upset with him, we're upset this happened, we apologize. The harm done to the culture in America is significant, and the unwillingness of people on the left who backed him to say, we're really sorry, and actually, the Trump supporters deserve no blame for this. And I'll tell you one last thing. I know that I said the previous point was the last, but this really is the last on this first five today. The American left, right, as my friend always reminds me to say, the anti-American left, they have nowhere to go in defending the policies they actually believe in. Every policy we're going to be talking about this next is our Biden voter remorse. But there is nothing the Biden administration is doing that's actually helping America, that's actually helping American citizens. On policy after policy after policy after policy, what the Biden administration is doing is attacking Americans, attacking America itself. The left cannot win elections. They cannot convince the American people to vote for them by saying what they really stand for. They get political points, political advantage. They get political victories by lying about conservatives, lying about America, lying about Trump, lying about Trump supporters. They work up, and it is their primary mission politically in every election cycle. This is, you know, pre long predates President Trump. The leftists in this country to gain power can only do so by lying to the American people about America itself, about the goodness of America, about what the plans they have to do, plans that they can somehow fix everything, you know, some kumbaya utopia they can create if only you give them all your power. So in this particular case, Jesse Smollett ended up getting convicted. And I know there are people who are saying, well, you know, he probably won't get any jail time because he had no previous convictions. He didn't hurt anybody in the sense of no, no person was injured or killed except he was um, beaten up because he asked these people to beat him up. But there needs to be a signal sent in this country, a signal sent that racial hoaxes are not okay. And even if you are, and, and, and maybe even if Jesse Smollett is deeply convinced that the idea of what he said happened could have happened, probably happens all the time, might happen sometime in the future. You can't cook up a story like this and and escape with no punishment. And I think I think the charges could at the most result in three years in jail and most people are saying he'll probably get probation and you know a fine or something. I actually think starting to send the message that you can't do these things with a small amount of jail time would be the right the, the right signal. Because I do think that I, I'll tell you one last justification Jesse Smollett has and frankly, many of his left-wing supporters in this country, Don Lemon and others, they would say, look, you know, okay, so this one didn't happen, but things like this happen all the time. And so, you know, all Jesse Smollett was really doing was actually kind of heroic and brave, and he took a risk, and he told this story that didn't happen to be true, but it doesn't matter because the gist of the story is really true about America. And that is where Jesse Smollett, Don Lemon, and everyone who supports him are participating in the unjustified, dishonest attack on the culture and fabric of the American people, on America itself. And I do believe, I think it would be a really great thing for him to get a short amount of jail time and the message sent, you know, you just can't make up this stuff. I will say, because what we really need in this country is not is racial healing, not more racial agitation, and especially false racial agitation. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, so over the weekend, um, I, we can bring the next topic up. I, I'm going to talk about Biden in a moment, but I want to tell you, over the weekend, I spoke at a conference here in Dallas. It was actually in Frisco, which is north of Dallas, and 
This is Clay, one of Clay Clark's Reawaken, Reawaken America tours, Reawakening America tours. And so they've done these conferences all over the country and they have sellout crowds, massive crowds, and they have great speakers. So I spoke at that on um, Saturday and I, I was really struck by a lot of things. First of all, it was a really, really big audience. I think it's like 3,500 and the place is packed. And um, you know, there are a variety of different speakers, uh, many of whom have been on my show before, some I didn't know, I met some new people. Um, but I was really struck by the energy on the conservative side for just the pro-America, I love this country, I want to save this country, I don't want a country to go socialist, I don't want our country to just go over the edge in the loss of the rule of law. There was a just a tremendous energy of love of America. And what you heard from the stage, in fact, I think you can still hear this whole uh, reawaken, reawaken, can't speak English, reawaken tour. I think you can hear it on Clay Clark's website. I believe we have portions of it on my Rumble channel. You can go hear this, but you do not hear anger. You don't hear hatred. You don't hear racial, anything racial. You hear love of America, love of freedom, love of the founding ideas. You hear uh, people of faith. Many people of deep religious faith spoke about their uh, the need for prayers for our country. It was a very positive and upbeat um, environment. And I'm telling you this because I know that the way the anti-American left works and they are just locked arms with the media or the, you know, the, I call them the media mob, um, media mockery mob, they will characterize things like this past weekend as, you know, these are kind of the right wing kooks. And they're kind of crazy and they say all these things that aren't true. I actually defy you. I encourage you to listen to the entire thing and tell me one thing you, you hear said that isn't true. You might, you know, disagree with someone's conclusion on something, but understand what you heard was love of love love of america love of freedom uh love of god um and a very pro-american we have to save our country message and so if you hear the media mocking clay clark's reawaken tours or the speakers are urgent to listen to it for yourself because a lot of times we have in our country the failure to actually listen to the story ourselves but we listen to somebody else one speaker they had there i'm going to mention him briefly before i go into my biden um you know do we have biden's buyer remorse, which is, of course, yes is the answer. But one of the speakers there was a gentleman named Patrick Byrne. He's been on this show before. And he did, Patrick Byrne did a, a long presentation. Uh, most speakers got 15 minutes. I think he got 45 or something, I'm not sure, in that ballpark. But I want to encourage you to listen to it. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, uh, I believe we, we linked to it on our homepage under shows, drop down list of links. We linked to Patrick Byrne's remarks. And the reason I want you to listen to him is because at least a portion of what he had to say, he was reiterating something that I've talked about in the show before. And when he was on the show, we alluded to it. And I want to just posit this for you, for your consideration. Patrick Byrne, through a series of, he's had the most unusual life, just, just a, a way non-mainstream life. But he ended up in the course of his life connecting with people in the federal government, people in the FBI and, and DOJ and politics, and he ended up in his um, role, uh, in his connection with those people, being asked by the Obama administration. And I, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Go listen to it. Listen to him yourself. By the Obama administration, during, toward the close of the administration, when Hillary Clinton was running for president and everybody and their brother assumed Hillary was going to win, you know, she would defeat Trump. Uh, in fact, you know, remember election night, it was, you know, Hillary has a 92% chance of winning or some stupid thing. Anyway, 
So he, Patrick Byrne, was called in by the, uh, in the Obama administration, and they asked him, uh, and he'd done other tasks, other um, jobs for the government at, at their request. And so he is called in and asked if he will set up Hillary Clinton, set her up, as she's, she's the candidate, set her up to accept a bribe from what she would believe would be from a foreign country. So when she accepted the bribe, that, and this is explained to Byrne by the Obama team, when Hillary accepts the bribe and she has the money, then the Obama administration has Hillary, you know, uh, control over her, has her under their foot. They could, once they had convinced her through, uh, you know, deception, deception to accept a bribe, that when she accepted it, then thereafter, the Obama administration could say, after Hillary was president, uh, as a matter of fact, Hillary, you're not going to change this, this Obama policy. You're not going to make this decision. You are going to make this decision and because we know about the bribe. They were actually setting her up so Obama could control Hillary once she was president. And Patrick Byrne, at the request of the government, did this. He set the whole thing up. Now, he wasn't the one to walk into the hotel room where Hillary believed she was meeting this envoy from some African country to receive a ton of cash. She, he wasn't there. He doesn't even really know if she accepted or not, but he does know what I just told you. And he's telling this story at this summit and other places. And he's saying that the Hillary uh, campaign was being set up, not just so that Obama could then control Hillary for the four years she would be in office, but that there was actually a larger and more nefarious mission behind it, which was that the Obama administration wanted to have, and they had a name for this, which was the Snow Globe Project. Snow Globe, you know, you shake them up and you see something move around. Well, Snow Globe Project idea was that Hillary was going to win. In fact, Obama had said to this Patrick, oh yeah, Hillary's gonna win, hands down, no worries. So they think she's gonna win. They think she'll be president in four years. They're thinking, actually, the plan was, according to Patrick Byrne, Hillary in for four years, and then another four years. So you have Obama eight years, Hillary eight years, and after Hillary's out, you get Michelle Obama in for eight years. She would run for president. So you'd have a 24-year running stretch of radical leftists running this country. Or, to put it more bluntly, 24 years in which to accomplish and finalize the fundamental transformation of America. This is what Patrick Byrne is talking about. I urge you to go listen to that and also to go back to his website, Patrick Byrne's website, which I can't think of the name of it, but I will, it'll come to me before we hang up, before we're done. But uh, she uh, he has told this whole story. and This is not a new story that Patrick Byrne told just because he happened to be at Clay Clark's uh, conference on Reawakening America. Um, he's told this, this in the past, and there are various people validating certain portions of it. That, so this is when I tell you that we are watching the Marxist takeover of America, this is a prime fundamental example. Obama never loved and never even liked the idea of America, the foundational freedom of America. This is not what he wanted to do as president. You know, you may recall years before that when he was, I believe, running for state Senate or else U.S. Senate, uh, he made a comment in an interview, very publicly in an interview, saying, yeah, he did not, about the Constitution, our Constitution, he called a charter of negative liberties. What Obama was saying was the Constitution 
does too much to limit the power and control of the federal government over the people. He wanted there to be more ability for the federal government to control your life, to control everyone's life, to control more of the economy, more of the industries, more of everything. The Constitution, in his view, unfairly limited him from the power he wanted to exert over the American people. So I urge you to listen to this. And then, uh, but going on, so back to this um, conference I was at, uh, you know, there were just great speakers. They were um, all, just also, you know, people who are uh, knowledgeable, knowledgeable about immigration, um, all sorts of issues. And um, I was thinking in the middle of it, you know, this is, you know, there's huge packed house, of course, you know, parking lot. I mean, I had to park impossibly far away to even get into this venue where the event was. But, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, I, I think like everyone there would be in agreement they don't like what the, um, uh, don't like what the Biden administration is doing. They don't like, uh, you know, they don't like the border policy. They don't like trade policy. They don't like the, the uh, you know, we're going to have the Green New Deal coming shortly. They don't like getting us back in the climate deal. They don't like the massive spending. They don't, they, they don't like, I mean, most people paying attention on the conservative side are just outraged by the Biden uh, policies, what's happening. So I'm sitting there looking at this big crowd and they're cheering all these people on. And I'm thinking, where are the Biden supporters? I don't mean that they would come to this thing. They wouldn't have come to this thing. But where are the masses of Biden's, the 81 million who voted for him? Where are they? I mean, we have in this country, you know, we have, we have rallies of all kinds. Trump has rallies. We have, you know, rallies and what, where are the uh, Biden supporters? It's a really, really, really good question. They weren't even visible during the campaign. You couldn't get a Biden supporter to show up at anything. I mean, he got like 12 people when he was trying to do an event. Nobody came, nobody cared. And yet you have still, we're now you know, almost a year into the Biden administration, and you get serious conservatives showing up at events like this and saying, you know, I'm here because I'm very, very, very concerned about America. By the way, someone just texted me. So the uh, Patrick Byrne uh, website where you can read and hear more about what um, he understands. I mean, he's had the most unusual life. It's called deepcapture.com. Deepcapture.com. You can go there, uh, listen to a lot of other things he said in the past. He's very, very tuned in on election fraud. He's also very tuned in on the era of the period of time in Washington between election day and inauguration day and all the ins and outs trying to talk to President Trump, explain what appeared to be massive fraud. Anyway, I call this Biden remorse because I actually really had this question uh, very seriously, which is why, uh, you know, the people who say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud. I voted for Biden. Yeah, I think he's great. What, what are they happy about? I mean, what do they think is going well? In fact, I was talking to this lady over the weekend. Um, she, uh, she has numerous family members. Uh, you know, I did this conference, I hung around all day to so talk to a lot of people, some lady there who has a just a ton uh, of friends and family who are strong, strong, strong uh, Biden supporters, or, or at least I'll say they're Trump haters. They, they don't like Trump, they're mad at Trump, whatever reasons they have. And so they're not happy with him. And so I, we were talking about this lady, she's saying, you know, but I ask him, well, what are you happy about? Well, I mean, now that what's going on here that you see happening in front of you, this Biden administration, what are you happy about? What do you think was good? How, what's going well? And the answer, I mean, honestly, the answer you can get from most Biden supporters is, um, well, he doesn't send mean tweets. Um, he doesn't say mean things in the media. He doesn't, I mean, 
but it is a it is like this well he doesn't do anything bad or he at least you know he's not orange man bad that's about the summary of what they're saying it is truly astonishing actually when you think about what's at stake in this country that the that you know this 81 million vote getter which is not true but you know that's what they say he he doesn't have a following he doesn't have defenders he can't even people don't even point and say well at least he's doing this all they're saying is well he didn't send any mean tweets today I want to talk a little more about the media's role in all this. That was another big topic over the weekend, because I, I do think, to be really clear what I'm saying about Biden, I think there is a ton of Biden remorse, Biden voter remorse. I mean, I don't know the numbers. There will be some people who will forever say, I hated Trump so much, I don't care if Biden does nothing for four years. I don't care if he sits in the White House and plays checkers every day. I don't care. He's not Trump. But for serious thinkers who look what's happening to this country, there have to be, and I will say in the millions of people who are thinking, dang, I can't believe I voted for Biden. I'll give you one example, uh, inflation. I mean, the average person, you know, inflation doesn't mean anything to the hoity-toit rich people, doesn't mean anything to Nancy Pelosi or any of these ruling elite class in Washington. You know, they've made their way, their little nest egg, their little fortune. But the average Joe who has to work every day and go to work and come home and pay their mortgage or their rent and put food in the table and, you know, pay for their car and their car insurance and the gas, they know. They know inflation's out of control. And when you are at the, you know, paycheck to paycheck mode, a little bit of inflation hurts a lot. A little bit of inflation hurts a lot. Hurts a lot. So you have inflation, undeniable, and of course the Biden team, everything they, everything is always Trump's fault. And I'm sure somewhere they've concocted up a, you know, well it's all Trump's fault, which of course it is not. This is a Biden administration's idiotic economic policies, but I don't want to go down that path because I think another reason that there is a just true deep voters remorse against Biden about having voted for Biden has to do with crime. And I was just mentioning something about crime. They ran on, Biden didn't, but many Democrats did, and it was a theme of the anti-American left, and still is today, defund the police. You know, this is at the theme of 1619 Project type people and BLM and Antifa, defund the police, about the dumbest slogan ever created in politics. And the reality is some jurisdictions around this country actually did it. Maybe not defend it, defund it entirely, but cut back on money to the police, which in those jurisdictions, shockingly, there's an increase in crime. I mean, who could have foreseen that? That just seems so puzzling. You defund the police, you have fewer police to show up, it takes longer to get there, and you have more crime. But people are noticing the crime, and they are noticing the smash and grab thing that's so cool right now. Well, if you smash and grab is when literally a mob, or as uh, my friend from California was saying, they're just gangs. When they show up at a store, smash the front windows or smash the front doors and get in, and they're just grabbing everything in sight. They're grabbing ex you know, expensive jewelry. Uh, if they're in stores that have high-end equipment, electronic equipment of any kind, you know, computers and all the other little fun things that go with computers, smash and grab has become a huge, huge problem. And when you live in a jurisdiction where there aren't enough police and you can't get them there fast enough, these people are all done by the time the police get there. They've gotten in, they've stolen the items, they have driven off in their cars, and the police come and go, man, this is bad. In fact, in one area in San Francisco, there was smash and grab happening at the drugstores. And of course, you might imagine if you're, you know, drugstores are filled with things that maybe either you can resell or you want to have for yourself without paying for it. 
but some of the, I believe it was Walgreens, but one of the chains began to move out of one of these neighborhoods because they had so many smash and grabs attacks. And of course the left wingers are saying, hey, you're leaving all these poor people in low income areas without a drugstore. They're gonna have to get on a bus and go, you know, 10 miles out of their way to find a drugstore. Well, you know what? This is part of what I really, really hope conservatives run on in 2022 and 2024. The left's policies facilitate crime. And it's not just policies that say defund the police and, and other policies like reducing bail requirements. And so you have people posting bail, getting out of jail, committing the next crime, getting arrested, going in front of a judge, posting bail, getting back out, a, a cycle. There has to be, in order to have a civilized society, there has to be a sense of law and order. And I hope many Republicans running in this next cycle can make this point. You know, you can't have a society where you don't have sufficient police. You can't have safety. You can't have law and order, sufficient police. And you, when you can't lock up people who are actually committing crime and who are committing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. If you can't lock them up, you can't keep the country or your state or your city safe. And so crime has become a problem. There was a little funny clip. I could not find it in a clip. I looked and looked, but AOC was, she was in an interview and maybe she just said it out loud. I think it was Washington Examiner, Washington Times or something. But AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, made this point that there was a, um, she, she doubted the smash and grab sprees. She said, I don't think they're really happening. I mean, I know they're saying this, but you know, I don't think they're really, ha I mean, I, I don't know whether she is really that daft. I mean, that just stupid, or she just figures as a leftist, she could not acknowledge that what's happening, these smash and grabs are a direct outcome of the policies she supports. Decriminalizing things, reducing punishment, re uh, diminishing the police, defunding police. Of course, you're gonna have more crime. And in places in San Francisco, there are literally big time department stores saying, you know, we're going to have to move out. We can't stay here. We don't have police to protect us. We don't, we can't, we can't, we can't have armed guards and start shooting at these people. They need police protection. And I, I truly think America, back to my point about Biden, they're starting to wake up as we have, seem to have to do every several decades. America has to wake up and, and recognize again the policies of the American left are ludicrous, absurd, harmful, and dangerous. What the, this whole decriminalize everything, this whole um, you know defund the police thing, Americans are waking up and saying, I, I don't think so. No one paying any attention actually likes what's happening at the southern border. Nobody. Nobody's hoping you get more criminals in your jurisdiction, more criminals in, I mean, more illegal aliens into your jurisdiction who uh, often need social services, housing, food, clothing, medical care. No one's hoping to say, yeah, yeah, bring them all here. In fact, I have to give a little, a great amount of praise to the um, governor in Florida, Governor DeSantis, who is actually asking in his budget for money when the federal government gets people crossing the border in one of these four states along America that has a, a southern border with Mexico, and the Biden administration is piling all these illegal immigrants onto airplanes, flying around the country and dropping them places, many in Florida, clearly a nefarious purpose to seed Florida with illegal aliens who they hope will eventually vote. But DeSantis is saying, you know what, I think we're gonna send them right back out and we're gonna send them up, I don't know, maybe Martha's Vineyard, maybe the state of Delaware, I love it. Anyway, I do think there's serious Biden voter remorse.
I think people are again reminded, as we seem to need to be every few years, how bad these policies are, how crazy they are, and how dangerous they are. But I want to hit a little bit on the subject of the media um, and how the media is um, plays such a significant role in, first of all, just kind of ignoring the damage being done to America by leftist policies and really what they're doing you know, um, to America by manipulating uh, the way Americans think. And I want to just have a little bit of an intro before I play this clip. I sent a clip to Mr. Becker, who's going to play it in just a moment, but I want to make a couple points about it. So when this, the, what you're going to see in a moment is a meet the press, you know, little enclave. I, I would never watch the show, but meet the press is apparently still on television and it's five journalists and they're sitting around bemoaning and complaining about the fact that many Americans simply won't agree with them once they've told them what the truth is. Now think about journalism is about investigating, you know, asking questions, looking at evidence, and then reporting it. It's not, its purpose is not, I mean, in the pure, uh, as a pure journalist, the purpose is not to sway people to decide what you designate as truth and tell them they better believe it. So you have, in this country, of course, you know, a serious swath of people who uh, clearly believe the election of 2020 was stolen. You have a huge swath of people who would say the January 6th incident at the Capitol was not an insurrection. More and more evidence came out all the time of FBI involvement in various ways. And yet you're not allowed to talk about that unless you say it's an insurrection. And I just, I thought this little clip I asked um, Ziggy to, to have ready for us, it just really is, is a window on what these journalists think their job is. They are frustrated and angry that they cannot get the American people to agree with them, not just about January 6th and not just about the elections of 2020. They can't get the American people to believe the, uh, the Trump supporters to believe what they want them to believe about Trump. And what I didn't do today, and I don't even know if I can be able to find these things, but you know, before Donald Trump ever ran, so he announced in 2015, before he ran for president, there was, he was still a major media figure because he's a billionaire and kind of a big, you know, he, he's a, just a larger than life figure in New York before he ever even ran for president. Before he ever even ran, he was a, a billionaire and a playboy and a, you know, a, a just, just kind of a, a bigger than life figure. In fact, when Candace Owens, Candace Owens, the extremely brilliant founder of Blexit, who's um, a wonderful thinker, when she, why she got interested in politics at all, because she wasn't a political figure was, she grew up in an era where she was near New York City, everyone in her community, and her, she said not just her family, but the black community, they knew who Donald Trump was, they thought he was the coolest guy ever. He was the bomb. He was the man. I mean, people thought it was the coolest thing if anyone got to meet Donald Trump. Everybody thought he was cool and great, and she grew up thinking that, and the black community loved him, and, and it's just her description of things. And then uh, within, the within uh, New York circles, you know, he had done many wonderful things for low-income people. The black community thought he was a great guy. And then when he ran for president, when he just announced in 2015, immediately the same media who had always been kind of glorifying him as 
kind of Mr. Swashbuckling, cool, you know, billionaire guy, and, and you know, just just a, a, a revered figure, turned on him on a dime, turned on him, and began characterizing him like the day he announced he was going to run for president, and from ever after, characterizing him as a racist. Well, this is what got Candace Owens even started thinking about these issues. She was thinking, wait a minute, the same guy, I know all you people and her community, how you talked about him, we revered him, he was so cool. And all of a sudden he's racist and this got her thinking. This is what prompted her to begin looking into politics and saying, you know, there's something wrong here because that, that's not what any of us ever said about him. So um, getting back to this, what, you, you, what, we ha what happened to Donald Trump was from the moment he announced in 2015 until the day he left office, and frankly, even until this day, today, the media is focused on, the, I'm talking about the left-wing anti-American media, which is, you know, what you may call mainstream media, but they're not mainstream, but they have been dedicated to stirring up hatred and, and just to stir up the most deepest sense of outrage and hatred of Donald Trump. It is their primary mission. They barely would ever cover the greatness of his policies, the impact the policies had on the country, how you had more people working than ever before, you had a free market flourishing, you brought jobs back to America, you were securing the border, just a resurgence of the love of America, and the media just could not cover that. They couldn't stand it. All they could cover were reasons to try to, to find, to describe him as a bad guy. Now, Donald Trump does sometimes contribute to his own the media headlines he doesn't like. You know, he's, he says what he thinks and he pops off and sometimes he says things that people say, well, I'm not sure I would have said that. But the media decided you must hate him. And back to why this Biden remorse thing I'm talking about is, I think there are plenty of people who just said, who just are now recognizing, I got manipulated by the media. I didn't really realize um, that I was being played because now I can see how great things were under Trump. We went from energy self-sufficient to high prices for gas, needing to import oil, jobs shut down because the pipelines are shut down in a year, in a year. I mean, people are starting to see maybe, uh, you know, I got worked into a lather over the, by the media trying to make me hate Trump. But the fact was his policies were good. The outcome was great. And the country is in a d disaster under Biden on every conceivable measure. Biden's administration, even less than one year old, is a complete disaster. So the media is frustrated because they very much, they're frustrated that they cannot get the Trump supporters to hate him. They can't believe they've been telling you now for you know six years, you have to hate him. He's evil. He's bad. You must hate him. And they just can hardly believe they cannot get the Trump supporters to hate him. This is in the mind of literally, uh, you know, on the American left, the media of the left that they're not journalists, they're just, they're attempted opinion shapers, but they're frustrated they can't get you to hate Trump. They're frustrated that you can't, they can't get you to agree. There was nothing wrong with the election of 2020, even though the more you pay attention, the more you know there was, um, and they can't get you to agree about January 6th. So with that long lead in, I wanna ask Mr. Becker to play this little clip from the uh, Meet the Press. Look, uh, it was the Atlantic this week, uh, Mariana, that sort of put the democracy issue, January 6th front and center. It's clear they're doing a year-ender. Then we had this Summit for Democracy. And it has really been a head-scratcher, the Summit for Democracy, because what other democracy has their last leader not conceding the election? 
Right. It's been very difficult, even for Biden, who ran on making sure that democracy can be saved, not just in the U.S., but also abroad. And it's difficult to make that argument for him it, because we've had January 6th. And, you know, we're coming up on the one year anniversary. It is so hard to believe it's right around the corner. And you still on Capitol Hill have many Republicans denying that that was an insurrection. They don't like calling these people insurrectionists. Mm -hmm. And and de you have Democrats who have sworn off actually working with Republicans who voted against certifying the election. So it is very tense still on Capitol Hill. Trump and his party have convinced a dauntingly large number of Americans that the essential workings of democracy are corrupt, that made up claims of fraud are true, that only cheating can thwart the victory at their polls, that tyranny has usurped their government, and that violence is a legitimate response. Hyperbolic or fact? Fact, I think. And, and I think the thing about the strength of this Gelman piece is it lays out, first of all, the extraordinary reality that there's this research that shows that something like at least 8% and maybe as many as 12% of the American people now say that Joe Biden was illegitimate and that violence is an appropriate tool mm -hmm. to removing him and restoring Donald Trump. That's somewhere between 20 and 30 million people. That's a mass movement in America in favor of political violence, which is a new thing. We've had political violence in America before, lynching many things over the course of time that African-Americans suffered from. But this is 30 million people right now who are ready to take up arms. You put that together with what the president, the former president, I should say, and his allies are doing in the political realm, yeah. state houses, state legislatures, and the party apparatus to be able to engineer a situation yeah. where they are in a stronger position to pull off a coup in 2024 than they were in 2020. That's not hyperbolic at all. Those are all facts. Okay. I have to tell you, I, there's so much to unpack from that. And I wanted to play it partly. I mean, that's, it was a much longer um, show. You could probably find it online. I don't know. But... That whole cycle there, this is not a private conversation that you were just watching that someone managed to tape. This is a television show, and it's created with the hope of millions and millions watching. I don't think millions and millions do watch it, but whoever number does, the point of that whole little clip you just heard is for people to start to think, wow, you know, um, I, I better, I don't want to be among the stupid people who are failing to recognize, you know, who are uh, still think there was election fraud because they just told me, you know, that's for stupid people. And, you know, they're just, the, the presumption, the first speaker there, the woman speaker, the presumption that there's no validity to the election fraud claims. And when, if you watch a show or many other shows or just read yourself, just read, not the Atlanta, I wouldn't read the Atlantic, but read actually unbiased sources, you recognize the evidence of election fraud has been and is overwhelming. It doesn't mean, you know, it, it, it hasn't been proven in a court, but the evidence is overwhelming from starting with what we talked about in Maricopa County, when you had the uh, actual audit done, um, and the Cyber Ninja people said, the Cyber Ninja people actually came back. They did one report, very factual, and, and then when the media tried to spin it and say, oh, look, even Cyber Ninja said, no fraud here, they came back and said, no, 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 we, we didn't say that at all. We counted all the ballots sitting there, and something between 50 and 60,000 of those ballots were not legitimate. Somehow the media ignores that, so I'm getting up. Mounds of evidence of election fraud, mountains. Every single left-wing source in this country will not report it, will not talk about it. Evidence emerges more and more, and they just are saying, this woman's saying, now she's not just even giving credence to the idea that serious, intelligent people might still uh, have very grave concerns about election fraud. She's acting like it's the craziest thing ever. What could they even be talking about? I mean, just 
failing to ignore um, what, what is evident to everyone paying attention. Second point, the guy, the bald-headed guy who was talking next, is really interesting as a small point. He was saying, you know, we've had political violence in the past. Now, he's saying this in 2021. He makes reference to the um, lynchings of the 1950s or 60s. Now, I, I, there was far more recent serious political violence conducted by the anti-American left, by anti-Black Lives Matter. Uh, he's like forgot about that. Much, much more current, much more relevant, much more widespread. But because that's okay with him, that political violence is, you know, you can't, can't even mention it, can't even talk about it. I also want to mention this poll, he said, 8 to 12% of Americans. I want you to recognize the little game he's playing there. He said, 8 to 12% of Americans believe the election was fraudulent and believe violence might be justified. Let me make something clear. The percentage of Americans who believe there was election fraud in 2020 is much, much, much higher than 8 to 12%. I mean, it is in the ball among Republicans, it's over 50%. On the Democrat side, it, you know, it depends which poll you look at, but very high percentages. People know really bad things occurred in the November 2020 election. But they, because they are, these are, these are not journalists. These are narrative and opinion shapers sitting around and using a tone of delivery and the topics they choose and the words they choose to try to convey to you, the American people, don't be caught up with the stupid crowd. Don't be caught up with them. They don't know what they're talking about. They are claiming election fraud, no such thing. I also want to say about the violence part, I don't know what poll he's talking about. I mean, he doesn't cite it in what you heard him say. Um, and I, it depends how the question is asked, because I think that I, I'm very sure that I, I know a majority of Republicans believe there was massive outcome-changing election fraud, and a very solid chunk of Democrats do too. Now, if the question was asked, you know, if there was election fraud and, and, you know, and you can't do anything else about it and you see tyranny coming, you know, could you possibly imagine violence? That's one answer. The idea that there are whatever he just said, 20 to 30 million Americans ready to take up arms, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I just, I, I think that people are frustrated and in part they're frustrated because they can't get courts to look at the evidence. They can't get people in Congress to look at it. Most members of Congress won't even touch the issue. And, and yeah, people are frustrated, but I think he's deliberately conjuring up images of, uh, which are designed to alarm the American people that somehow there's 20 to 30 Americans, 30 million Americans uh, ready to go with violence. I don't think that's true. Um, the other thing that was very, very interesting in the clip they showed, and I think it was from The Atlantic, anyway, the clip they put up, they are, they are just, and, and, and I, yeah, well, I think it was The Atlantic, which is just among the most odious publications, just odious, and they have the uh, veneer of intellectualism because their articles are all long, very lengthy, and they use correct grammar, and even the presentation of it is very almost academic. It's always very uh, presented in a very, um, you know, scholarly and, and kind of condescending, we know everything and you don't way. But what the Atlantic is saying and what they're doing with that little caption is ignoring the fact that we are looking at tyranny and mocking the idea that somehow Americans is crazy people. What are they talking about? Tyranny. 
Well, I can tell you what they're talking about with tyranny. They're talking about the idea that they're finding out from the federal government that they're working as hard as they can to force vaccinations against COVID on children who have basically a 0% risk of contracting it, 0% risk of dying, 0% risk of spreading it. And yet the government is talking about trying to force vaccines for COVID on children. Yeah, that's tyranny. But you, you get these publications like The Atlantic saying, well, you know, these kind of loopy Republicans, I don't know what's wrong with them. So, of course, people go, well, you know, what the heck? You know, these are just, um, you know, people read The Atlantic and the way The Atlantic is written in such this smothering scholarly, uh, you know, condescension toward the average Joe. So that you feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't really be thinking of this as tyranny. We are facing tyranny. That's a, what, one example of that. Even adults adults who have up until now in America had the right to make their own healthcare decisions and in a disease with again 99.9% survival rate for basically everybody we're being told unless you get a vaccine which has a horrible record of danger horrible record of danger unless you get that you may not be able to fly go to a restaurant go to the grocery store you just may not be able to go out at all in fact in Canada in Canada, they're now starting this, that grocery stores are free to refuse people who are unvaccinated from shopping in their stores. It's like they're gonna starve them in their homes or something. I mean, it's so unbelievable. But I just, I wanted to play this today. I love my deep dive Mondays. I, I don't usually have a guest on Mondays. I like just to talk to you because I can do a little beyond just the running through the story. I really want, my idea and why I wanted to share that with you is, these people, they actually believe, like this whole little cabal and meet the press, what they're saying is they're whining and moaning and complaining because they've been trying to make you hate Trump since 2015. They can't believe the American people are so audacious as to think for themselves and actually refuse to hate him like they've been trying to tell us we have to hate him. Can't believe we still support him and can't believe that they would go to rallies for him and, and still agree with what he says. They're, they're trying to say, we've been trying to tell you stupid people, you peasants, you aren't supposed to like Trump. We've made that clear, you have to hate him. You have to hate him. And how could you continue to support him? And then they mock everything Trump and many conservatives are saying about election fraud and about this, you know, tyranny in the government, trying to go, what are these crazy people talking about tyranny in the government? I can tell you what they're talking about. I mean, I gave you some examples. I could give you many, many, many more. They are trying to shut down free speech. They're trying to shut down the idea that you have the right to make a vaccine decision on your own, prevent you from going to work, present, prevent you from holding, opening your own business without complying with their vaccine agenda. Yeah, that's tyranny all by itself. Many of the subjects of tyranny, but I, gotta, I can't do them all today. I just want to, you know, I, I call this topic Biden remorse. I truly believe that there is at least an inkling in the mindsets of millions of Americans. You know, I might have thought I hated Trump and I might have thought that he, you know, I don't like his tweets or I don't like his attitude. But what America is finally seeing is this is what leftism is. This is what, as you heard Patrick Byrne describing, I mentioned earlier, this is what leftism tyranny looks like. They believe they have the right to orchestrate elections, to win elections, to fundamentally transform America while you're asleep at the wheel, thinking about, you know, your biggest thing is get to work on time tomorrow and try to get that project off your desk so you can enjoy your kids' basketball game tomorrow night. You're thinking that and they're thinking, you know, we are actually trying to fundamentally transform America and we're on our way to doing it. So I think there's a lot of Biden remorse. The more tyranny you see, the more repression, you more to see. And we need to go into Afghanistan 
And I want to make one more point before I get to my last topic, which I do have just a few minutes to hit on. Everything you see, I'm sorry, this thing is really bugging me. Everything you see the Obama administration, the uh, Biden administration doing, everything, everything is intentional. If you think that we somehow, America's foreign policy, we got duped or confused or we made a bad judgment call in Afghanistan, you are missing the boat. Everything they're doing is intentional. They intentionally allowed one of the most evil, jihadist, murderous, terrorist organizations in the world, the Taliban, to become the ruling party in that country. They deliberately abandoned the southern border because they don't like borders, because they are globalists and they want, they're happy to have our borders flooded with all sorts of criminals. This is, this is intentional. Intentional. And, and every other policy we've been talking about, the, you know, the whole uh, COVID policy and how the inf just installation of fear in the hearts and minds of Americans, intentional. In fact, this week, by the way, uh, tomorrow on this show, uh, we have a Dr. Mark Sherwood joining us. He is a doctor in um, Oklahoma. No, yeah, Oklahoma, um, who is a, uh, he has treated over 9,000 COVID patients, over 9,000, zero deaths among his main points is that there are plenty of treatments widely readily available that people can take. This is not a pandemic. We do not have to worry. We had a government at the very outset that shut down America's access and understanding information about available treatments all because they pushed everyone toward the, uh, you know, the, the beloved vaccines they want everyone to pursue. And he's had over 9,000 COVID patients, no deaths. And on Wednesday, we have Dr. Mark McDonald joining us. He's from California. And he is a psychiatrist who has written a book about the power of fear and the government's use of fear to manipulate the American people into submission. Great stuff, great stuff to understand, stuff you'll never hear on Meet the Press or any other left-wing media outlet. You'll love it. And Thursday, by the way, Thursday we have Chad Prather joining us. He's one, the, um, one of the gubernatorial candidates in Texas, a primary challenger to Governor Abbott. Uh, he's also very funny, very bright, very fun. So uh, to wrap up this Biden remorse, I think the Biden remorse is growing in this country. I think it's growing because people, uh, they don't like what they're seeing. They don't like inflation. They don't like gas prices going up. They don't like shutting down jobs and then shutting down the pipelines. They don't like abandoning the border. They don't like being the, the tyranny just piling on American people out of Washington. They don't like it. They want America the free. They may still say they don't like Trump or didn't like some decision or um, words or tweet that he said, but they're starting to recognize America was free and bold and strong under Trump, and it is a disaster under Biden. Okay, one last quick thing before I get to my last thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I actually have two products now. This is, I've done this show since 2014, and I haven't, re I haven't had advertisers. I've, I've had one sponsor who's been wonderful um, for all these years, but I now have, I'm, I'm trying to inspire you to support my show by buying products I actually love. The first one is this beverage called H2Bev. And you know what's really funny? I brought a can here last week, and I think I drank it, so I don't have it here. Anyway, H2Bev is a beverage. It comes in a can looking just like that. They have three favorites, lemon, lime, strawberry, and orange. 
And I, if you see the top right, go to h2bev.com, use the promo code DEBBIEG. You get 10% off your order. They mail it or ship it to you. Um, and so you get it very quickly and you get 10% off your order and I get 10% or I get some, it's not 10, I get some percent uh, of your sale. And I'm, why I'm encouraging you to do this, leave it up there while I say this, okay? Um, why, I want to encourage you that this is an unusual product. You see in the can it says increase uh, performance, endurance, and focus. It is a, it is a, uh, it's um, hydrogen infused, hydrogen infused drink. And you said, you see it says have nitric oxide boost. It is a uh, product that is, uh, you can't buy in stores. And I have had, when I was um, recovering from really bad flu and I talked to my doctor friend, he said, oh, you should get this hydro shot stuff. It actually increases mental clarity, perception. It's an antioxidant and it is truly, it makes you feel better. I'm not claiming this med medicine. I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you, I drink one every morning. And uh, as they say, wait 20 minutes before I eat anything. It honest to goodness increases your, just, just your alertness, your perception. It's an amazing thing they have tons of great stories. I, I met the founder and had a long talk, two, two long talks with him and told him to put more of these stories up on their website. But if you go tonight to that, uh, h2bev.com, order a case, try for yourself, see what you think. I love it. I, I every day just love it. Second one is my pillow. And very quickly, I'll put that up for you and then I'll get to my last story. But this is the other way because this show, my very fine friends, is expensive to do. I'm hoping to raise money by having you buy products you will like and I get a small percentage coming to me and that allows you to get a great product, you to get a discounted price, me to get something uh, to support this show. And so MyPillow.com, you can see at the bottom, near the bottom, MyPillow.com, they have pillows and towels and sheets and slippers and bathrobes and pajamas. Okay, I'm just trying things I've tried. I've not tried the doggy bag because we don't have a dog, but I love dogs. But anyway, if you go that to that website, mypillow.com, you get up to 66% off. Use the promo code DebbieG. You see that in the bottom right. Get a discount, um, and it helps support my show. Plus, you'll love the gifts that you can either get these for gifts for somebody else or give yourself a gift. You'll love it all. Okay, so that's it. I want to urge you, H2 Bev. I'm trying these two things, and I hope you'll try them too. Okay, last story, very, very quickly. Um, which is just, uh, I, I just call it, what if no one works? I'm going to plant this seed and I'll come back to it another day this week. So um, I'm going to an event uh, tonight, actually. And the venue where this event is, it's a political thing, big political thing. So the venue where the event is told our group that they have, they can't get enough people to like work, to serve, to be servers. You know, they serve the dinner and pick it up. You know, how you are at any restaurant or any venue. They can't get workers. In fact, they have to pay workers weekend rates, although it's not a weekend, and that you know it's going to cost our group more money because because this this ended this organization saying this venue says we can't get enough people. I have a friend who's a caterer, and I was I was talking to her, and she said, yeah, we cannot get enough people to work. I mean, we have you know catering jobs. There's some people who are supposed to show up and work. She said there used to be a service, she could, you know, an employee service. She could call and say, I need two servers Tuesday night. She said, you know, half the time they don't show up or they have two that show up and only one really works. The other one's fooling around their phone. And, and I mean, every place we go, if we, my husband and I are, are just out at the mall, any place we're walking around, you see in like every store window, employees need, need it. Now hiring, 
one really basic store near us is saying, we'll pay a signing bonus. And this isn't signing bonus, you know, to become the president or some high level executive. This is to just work there. What is happening in this country, and I'm going to do more on this later in the week, but we have a serious problem in this country because we have many jobs where that aren't getting filled and businesses. A restaurant near our house that used to be open from 7 in the morning to about you know 9 at night or something, they now close at 3 p.m. They can't get shift people to work the dinner shift. I'm telling you all this to make a couple quick points, and then we'll wrap it up with why it matters to you. Number one... Please understand that when you have any policies in place in society where you have people paid by the government not to work, whether it's through unemployment, whether it's through welfare, whether it's through COVID payments, paying you not to work, there's a certain segment that will say, hey, this is pretty good, you know, got money coming in, enough to live on, I can pay my rent, I can buy my food, I'm going to check out Netflix, what's on today, maybe I'll just watch Netflix and, and not work. So we are cultivating this you don't really need to work mentality. The left is cultivating this. You don't need to work mentality. Another absolutely manipulated uh, aspect of the COVID issue is sending people money to not work. Second is in our country, we have the anti-American left forever and a day trying to work away at, to chip away at, to demean and destroy and denigrate the kind of culture and fabric of America, which is that can do positive American spirit that can do, we can do this, get up, work, make your way, make your way in life. I mean, these, that spirit of America that, that is, uh, you know, built America, that built America in terms of being a strong superpower and, and a strong economy, people around the world come here to, for opportunity. That whole spirit does not jive with the leftist Marxist agenda. You, you can't inflict Marxism and, and, and the totalitarian uh, you know, path they're on if you have people who are fundamentally self-reliant, self-sufficient. I don't need the government. I'm working hard. I'm working my way up. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to work. I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to go back to school to get this degree. Or I'm going to learn this new talent. All the things that belong in a normal free country are antithetical to what leftists want. And so this is not, again, not unintentional. This kind of undercutting of the, uh, it's a political agenda, this undercutting of the spirit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, wanting to work. Work is good for people. I'll tell you one more thing about work, and then I gotta go to why it matters to you, but in a free market country like America, the, at which the left is always trying to characterize you know, freedom and free markets and capitalism as evil and selfish, but it's exactly the opposite. If you in this country want to get ahead, you have to be able to, you know, you can go work for a big company and, and, and make or do whatever they do or start your own business. But in either case, you have to make a product or service somebody else wants. You have to make something that you look at the, and say, wow, this community could use and use, you know, whatever it is, could use a service or this product. So you create it, you create a product that meets somebody else's need. In a way, it's like loving your neighbor. You're, you have neighbors who are saying, or people in America, I sure wish we had, you know, a better quality and I don't know what it is. Swing set, pair of, you know, rain boots. Um, you know, better quality blow dryer, better quality tools, whatever the product is, 
When you work hard to make something better, product or service, you're helping other people. You're making the economy better. You're making things better for them because they have what they need. You're paid for it. That is the beauty of capitalism. It's a great thing and it gives you a sense of self-worth. Yeah, I earned this. And you know how Obama was always trying to undermine, you didn't earn that, you didn't build that. Yeah, you did. The American people built America and whatever you do, whatever your job is, you're building not just something someone else needs, but you're building your sense of, I have a place, I have purpose, I have a good mission and a good job because I'm producing red pens or you know new sweaters or whatever it is, you're producing something somebody else wants. That's the beauty of work. When you have the leftists trying to wanting more and more of the centralized economy, controlled out of Washington, centralized government, or like Moscow had all their five-year plans, controlled out of the big government, you have them deciding what someone might really want, what they should want, and what product they should or might want, and, and ordering what to be made. This is just, I mean, everything about America that is good and right and made us strong in the land of opportunity and abundance uh, drives the left crazy. And so the left, this, this time in America where we're, we're just suffering from ridiculous COVID tyranny and piled onto that, you have this, the, the leftist me mentality has been working away at, for decades in America, trying to undermine that American spirit, that can-do self-reliant spirit. It's why the left is forever and a day trying to build more government programs to make more things free for you free because the government pays for it, which means your neighbors pay for it. Government has no money. They have money because they take tax dollars away. They take money away from people who earned it to get money to Washington to, to just redistribute to you. That's what really, what, what um, all the free programs are out of Washington. And those free programs are not really there to help you. They, they're sold as, oh, we just want to help you. We want to make you helpless and dependent. We want to make you weak. We want to make you believe you cannot make your way in life. This is why leftists are forever and a day expanding programs and giving you things for free because they know they're weakening the culture and the fabric and the spirit of working of the American people. They're doing it on purpose. Don't let them do it. We need a renewed, just inspire from Washington and from leadership at every level, encouragement of work, encouragement, get out, get a job, work hard, understand you have a place and, and when, you, when you do that you're telling the government i don't really need you to supply me with everything i need in my life i can make my own way this is this kind of independent and self-reliant spirit uh drives the left out of their minds okay i'm out of time as i am after at the end of every show so i will tell you why the stories i talked about today matter to you so we started with system working the jesse Smollett verdict. Even in Chicago, the jury got it right. Rittenhouse, Arbery, and now Smollett. Evidence and truth still win in America, which is a great thing. Smollett deserves some jail time, in my humble opinion. He arranged a hoax. He abused the police and the judicial system, essentially committed a hate crime against America, perpetuating the left's political goal of spreading racial tension painting America as filled with white oppressors and black victims. He played right into that. But the bizarre fact that Smollett even took his case to trial is evidence of how deeply indoctrinated and mesmerized he really is. Seems like he thought he was doing a good thing because he has been taught to believe America is a bad place, filled with Trump supporting racists, and he was determined to expose it. Truth is outing hidden agendas. This is all to the long-term good of America. And Biden vote remorse? 
Crime, inflation, a debilitated military, COVID forever, public school rap. It's all taking a toll on Biden voters. Anyone who voted for Biden on the narrative that he's a moderate, nice guy, to the extent he's in charge at all, which who knows, he is implementing the most extreme, angry, hateful, and anti-American agenda ever. Meet the press panels lamenting the media's inability to tell Americans what to think. Mainstream media, there was no election fraud in 2020. America's mm, evidence of outcome changing election fraud is overwhelming. Mainstream media, January 6th was an insurrection. Americans, November 3rd was an insurrection. January 6th was an unarmed protest made to appear to be something else, seemingly aided by America's own FBI and DOJ. Americans are waking up and refusing to live under lies. And last, what if no one works? Help wanted signs are everywhere. Restaurants and service businesses, especially shorthanded. Yet COVID support payments ran out in September. So how are these people living? The insidious effect of the pandemic and the leftist agenda, prolonged fear of human interaction at work, the planting of fear about COVID and early retirements to avoid risk. COVID payments and unemployment checks allowed Americans to save money and then reject work. COVID payments often exceeded minimum wage, eroding the willingness to work. Biden cabal delivers a message that work is oppressive. Employers are racist. Rich people should have their wealth redistributed. Everyone's a victim. This is the incessant messaging out of the left, including the Biden cabal. No one in leadership extols the virtue and value of hard work of the American ideal of starting at the bottom and working up the ladder. Communists have long sought demoralization as a step to overthrowing America. Many have opined that the pandemic is a plandemic, a psyop used to weaken and demoralize America and her citizens and her workers. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk? Truth About America.